One day, a student asked anthropologist Margaret Mead for the earliest sign of civilization in a given culture. He expected her to give the answer that it might be a clay pot that maybe she discovered or a uh, perhaps a, a fish hook somewhere, or maybe even a, a grinding stone. Her answer was a healed femur. Mead explained that no healed femurs are found where the law of jungle, where the survival of the fittest reigns. A healed femur shows that someone cared. Um, someone had to do the injured person's hunting and and gathering until uh, their leg had healed. The evidence of compassion uh, was the first sign of civilization. Compassion these days, um, (laughs) i got to be honest with you, seems to me to be more difficult to find. Doesn't it to you? And I got I to gotta be honest as well. Surprisingly, that might even be said uh, to be true among Christians, Christ followers. Over the past number of years, those of us here in the United States, I think, um, who have said yes to Jesus as our King and as our Lord have found ourselves to become more angry, uh, more sour, Uh, more concerned, and we're shouting more, I think both in person and and online. We're angry about values and politics and uh, media and education, the violation of the unborn, um, criminals, (laughs) justice system. I mean, the list could go on and on. Publicly, we are perceived to be long on madness and short on mercy. To be more committed to our hatred than to our compassion. Something is out of joint in the body of Christ because our madness, see, is unlike Christ. Although he held to the truth, he did it with grace. Here in the United States, um, we have a nickname for tow trucks. We call them wreckers. (laughs) Um, In England, their tow trucks all have one big word splashed on them, simply recovery. Same vehicle, same instruments, same mission. Totally different perspective. While we say, hey, there goes a wrecker, (laughs) they say, here comes a recovery. A lot of people in the body of Christ these days move more like a wrecker, I think. But Christ came on a recovery mission. His life and ministry were marked not by anger or by, by shouting, but by compassion, by grace. Do you realize that one of the most repeated (laughs) descriptions of God's character in the Bible starts with that word compassionate? In Exodus, God trying to help 
Moses and the people of Israel explain, understand who he was, who he is, and his character um, describes himself as the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God is compassionate. That word in Hebrew um, is related to the word womb. And it invites us to imagine a mother's tender feelings for her vulnerable child. Isaiah, comparing God to a mother, writes, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will never forget. God is full of motherly compassion. Incredible. And Jesus is God's deep motherly compassion become human. Over and over again in the Gospels, we see his compassion as he embraces the sick and as he touches the untouchable and as he cares for the outcast. He is deeply moved by human suffering, Jesus is. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to invite you to join me as we once again look at Jesus' compassion. I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 4 this morning. Gospel of John chapter 4. Now, we are currently, for those just to update, those who maybe haven't been with us, watching us online, we are currently in the middle of a sermon series we've titled, Doing Good. The first week, we, we talked about the reality that God's kingdom has come. And you and I, as Christ followers, that we have been given the assignment to be in partnership with him um, to help bring about God's kingdom to our world by doing good. Two weeks ago, we discovered that doing good means seeing people as Jesus sees them and finding a way to bless them. And last week, we learned that doing good means feeling what Jesus feels for the most needy, the most, most vulnerable in our world, and caring for them through uh, unspectacular, unknown, uh, unremembered acts of kindness. This morning, we're going to see once again how Jesus demonstrates the kingdom of God through his compassion. Now, we pick up the story here in John chapter 4 after Jesus had left Samaria. You're familiar with the, the story of uh, Jesus meeting that woman at the well there in Samaria. And then, and then the great success he had in Samaria. And so he leaves Samaria and he goes up um, to the hills, back to Cana. And you're familiar with the story of Cana where his first miracle was performed, where he turned um, the water into wine. So start with me now, looking at verse 46. Here's the story. So he came again to Canaan, Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judah to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs 
and wonders you will not believe. An official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he is going down, his servants met him, told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Um, it's easy to identify the two primary characters in that story. They're, of course, this uh, uh, Jesus and this royal official. Um, usually when we read this story, what we do is we, we focus on that royal official. Now, we really don't know much about him here. Um, but I think it's safe for us to assume that he was uh, on Herod's payroll in some capacity. And evidently, he knew of Jesus' reputation. Maybe even um, he knew of the earlier miracle that Jesus had performed there in Cana. Because, see, once he hears that Jesus has returned, he's willing to travel the 20 miles uh, uphill, up into the hills uh, from Capernaum in order to appeal to Jesus' compassion. Why? Well, because um, his son was deathly ill. Maybe this was his firstborn son. We're not sure. But the boy's illness has torn, evidently, at his father's heart. And so much so that he is persistent in asking Jesus to heal his boy. Again, most of the time when we uh, hear this story, when I've heard this story uh, taught or, or preached, the focus has been on how strong this royal official's um, faith in Jesus must have been. I mean, a journey all that way to make this request and then to, to turn back home and head home trusting that his son would be restored to um, life, to health. <laughs> but this morning, what I want to do is something different. I, I want to look at us from a, a little different perspective. Instead of focusing on the royal official's perspective, what I would like us to do is, is uh, focus on Jesus' compassionate response. Throughout the Gospels, we see uh, Jesus uh, mainly doing two things, right? We see Jesus teaching and Jesus performing these miraculous signs. Um, and both his words and his actions were done in order to demonstrate the kingdom of heaven. The kind of life that he was making available to, to people here on, on earth. Through his teaching and his miracles, Jesus was showing people the way God intended life to be like back in the garden. Back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Back at the very beginning, a kind of life that, that uh, Jesus taught could be restored. When he taught, Jesus taught about the kingdom where goodness prevails, where people treat one another with respect, where love defeats selfishness, where, where hurt, needy, neglected uh, find comfort and care in community. 
where brokenness gets restored, where God is honored, and ultimately one day where all things that are wrong with this world will be set right. And Jesus didn't just talk about the kingdom of heaven. No, he began to show people as he talked about the kingdom of heaven, he began to show people what it looks like. He, he uh, healed the sick and he gave sight to the blind and he calmed the storm and he released um, people from the power of evil, making the lame to walk and giving people uh, victory over death. And listen, those weren't just some gimmicks in order to uh, uh, get people to come and, and listen to him. No, they were early evidence that the kingdom of God was present and it was coming. And Jesus was making it clear to everyone that the pathway to the kingdom was through him. He was the king of the kingdom. And this was what he proclaimed and what he demonstrated. Of course, um, you know, there were a lot of people that didn't really have that much interest in Jesus' teaching. <laughs> I mean, they just wanted the miracles. Um, they, they wanted the signs and wonders. They wanted the wow. <laughs> I mean, you turn forward just a couple of, of uh, chapters to chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, and, and you read um, the, where Jesus fed the 5,000. Then after feeding those 5,000, the people cried out, um, this is indeed the prophet who's come into this world and they try to take him by force and, and make him become king. And Jesus, of course, escaped that time. And, but the next day as he was teaching, Jesus began teaching some very tough truths, spiritual truths. And many of those who had been following him, who had come to see and be part of those miracles, Scripture says they turned back and no longer walked with him. These people were drawn to the beautiful things that he was doing, the miracles that he was performing, but they were less interested in the spiritual teaching. And that seems to be the case here with this royal official as well. Um, I mean, he comes and begs for Jesus to heal his son, and yet when Jesus starts down the road of a spiritual conversation this guy ignores it. Uh, I mean, look with me at what Jesus says to this man. Verse 48. Look what he says here. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll not believe. Um, Jesus wants this man not only to know the healing of his own son, but also the greater restoration that he has come to provide. But this man, he abruptly cuts Jesus off. Do you notice this? Verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Um, he's not all that interested in having a spiritual conversation. He just wants Jesus to perform a, a miracle to help his dying son. I can tell you that attitude is not really far from our reality, is it? People around us are unimpressed with all the talk about God's kingdom and, and, and God's love. Instead, they're looking for a demonstration of it in real life. So what's Jesus' response? Does he sit this man down and, and lecture him about religious things? 
Does he stop and walk him through um, the, the plan of salvation? Does he talk to him about his need for repentance and forgiveness? <laughs> no. No, he, he doesn't do any of those things. Instead, he chooses to show compassion uh, to this man. He show, chooses to show what this kingdom would really look like. And Jesus says, go, your son will live. He blesses that man, catch this, with no strings attached. He assures him that his son will be healed. You'll notice that it was after Jesus demonstrates his compassion, after Jesus heals this man's son, that this royal official and his household, that's when they come to faith. I mean, it was down the road after meeting with uh, his servants that he ends up putting two and, and two together and realizes that his son had begun getting better at the exact time that Jesus had uh, promised him that his son would be healed. See, Jesus is compassionate without first demanding faith. Do you realize that? He once again shows us a demonstration of the, the kingdom is often more powerful than uh, just a single proclamation of the kingdom. Years ago, as reported in uh, the bonehead of the day email, <laughs> a U.S. company had released for distribution a newfangled toy action figure called the Invisible Jim that was selling very briskly in Britain for about $2.80 a piece. Why was it called the Invisible Jim? Because all you would get was the packaging. There was no Jim. Um, <laughs> like lack of darting eyes and uh, realistic fake hair and as seen, as not seen on TV and the camouflage suit sold separately were all some of the boasts made on the package. <laughs> the company said they had received no complaints about the empty boxes. Good marketing, good packaging, empty box. <laughs> I think in our day of um, cynicism and skepticism, a time when a lot of people talk about a lot of different things, it is more important than ever that we let our actions speak louder than our words. We have to make sure we're not just selling a bunch of empty boxes. Now listen, I don't want to ever take this um, as permission that we are never ever <laughs> to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, we want everyone to hear and embrace the, the message of Jesus, don't we? We want people everywhere to hear the truth and their need for, for forgiveness and their need for God's grace. But what we can't do is we can't demand a hearing. God never asks us uh, to help him grow his kingdom by manipulation or, or coercion or, or, or arm twisting. Jesus' uh, bold community grows when his people find ways to serve the world and do good things in the lives of people around them. And when that friend of yours, that person who sits in the cubicle, you know, across from you, when they are ready, 
when they demonstrate an openness to the Holy Spirit, then we can give a reason for our faith. While we wait for God's timing, I got to tell you and admit, it's not always easy. We will wonder if, if the good that we're doing, if it's actually ever going to lead to having a life be changed. That's why Paul says in Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good. There will be times when we do good and there will seem to be like there's no result. Nothing's happening. But Paul continues in that verse and says, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Continuing, continue to sow seeds of good. Why? <laughs> what good is it to do good? Well, let me suggest that doing good without any strings attached is good for three groups of people. I'm drawing these from Tom uh, Van Antwerp's um, a sermon that he preached. I think these are helpful. First reason, uh, first reason is because it's good for us. When we do good for others without expectation or demand for response, we learn that ultimately it isn't our work, it's God's, right? We can back off from our attempts to be the people, um, the, the, the puppet master, and uh, simply make ourselves open and available to what God might be doing. We don't have to try to manipulate the situation. The good we do doesn't need to come from a sales pitch for the church or with a sales pitch for Jesus. Rather, constantly trying to think of ways to turn the conversation to spiritual things, we could just, rather than trying to do that, we could just be ready for the work of the Holy Spirit to open the door. When we do good like that, it's good for us. Second, doing good is good for others. When we do good, what we're really doing is we're serving people. And Jesus came to serve, right? When people begin to feel that we have an ulterior motive, that, that they begin to feel like they're being used or they're unimportant or unheard or, or, or devalued, usually what that happens is that turns people away from the gospel, not towards it. But when you bless people in ways that meet their needs, when you show them dignity and respect their openness, <laughs> The, the door to other things God may have in store for them, it remains open. And then when the time comes that they're ready uh, to understand more, they don't have to overcome a bad experience with us in order to hear the good news, the gospel. Third, doing good is good for the kingdom of God. When we follow Jesus by doing good, when we're merciful, kind, generous, when we show compassion to hurting people and care for those in need, we aren't simply showing people uh, what the kingdom of heaven is like. Rather, we're partnering with God in making his kingdom a reality in our present lives, in our present world. 
In three weeks, I want to tell you, you are going to have an opportunity to do good. Uh, Pastor Jay mentioned it just a little bit earlier in his announcements, but on Saturday morning, February 24th, from 9 to noon, it's during our outreach weekend, we're going to have a first free serve day. Um, What we're going to be doing is we're going to be teaming up with an organization uh, called Bridging, an organization that helps provide essential furnishings for for those that don't have anything, that that need furnishings. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be putting together a bunch of dressers down in our gym, as well as we're going to have some other stations, some other activities, some other things that we're going to be doing to help the community. We're going to be doing that all together, doing good for us, for others, and for the kingdom of God. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to mark it down on your calendar. I want you to make it a priority to be here on that Saturday morning, 9 to noon. We'll have a lunch for those who are able to stick around to follow. But listen, I want you to make it a priority. Look for more information that will be coming out in the coming weeks. But make sure you mark that morning and lock that down. Last April, National Public Radio told a story about a man named Mike Huddleston in their Unsung Heroes series. Huddleston was traveling for a training. He had flown from Maryland to San Francisco and needed to get a rental car agency, to a rental car agency, but because of a degenerative neuromuscular condition that weakens his muscles he wouldn't be able to climb the stairs of the shuttle bus in order to get to that rental car agency. So instead, the car agency sent someone to pick him up. But as he is walking outside to meet that car, to meet them, he fell. And due to his condition, he couldn't get up. He said, I remember sitting there in the middle of the sidewalk in front of San Francisco Airport thinking, what in the world am I going to do? Then out of nowhere, I heard, what can I do to help? Huddleston turned his head to see a man in his late 30s standing behind him. I said, are are you kidding? He said, no. What can I do to help you, man? Huddleston described what the man could do to help him get off the ground. Once he got him up, the man fetched Huddleston's baggage, which had rolled a few feet away when he fell. He asked me, Huddleston said, he asked me if I was good, and I said, I am because of you, so thank you very much. He just said, no problem, and turned and walked away. This encounter struck Huddleston, not just because of the man's kindness, but also because of the way he offered that kindness. His unsung hero didn't step in and start helping when he saw Huddleston on the ground, He took a moment to ask Huddleston how he could help. It's been more than 20 years since Huddleston was helped up, but he continues to think about it to this day. He said his willingness to help me and the compassion he showed in a very challenging situation for me is something I will never forget. Jesus said, be compassionate even as your father is compassionate. Listen, I don't know if that stranger who helped Mike Huddleston up was a a Christ follower or not, and I don't really think it matters. 
He showed the compassion of Jesus <laughs> to a fellow human being. N.T. Wright says, if we are obedient to the gospel, if we are following Jesus, then every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care, of nurture, or comfort, or support for one's fellow human beings, or for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. This is the logic of the mission of God. So the reason we do good, with no strings attached, without requiring or demanding or coercing people to respond favorably, is because it's a powerful demonstration of the kingdom of God in our world. That's why. And rather being, than, than being a wrecker, <laughs> we get to join Jesus on his recovery mission. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you <laughs> indeed that you have come on a recovery mission for each one of us. We thank you for your compassion that sent your son, Jesus Christ, to earth to become one of us and to go to the cross for our sake so that we might have a relationship with you, so that we might know your truth, so that we might experience your love and compassion. Lord, might we be compassionate as you are, Heavenly Father, compassionate. We pray these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.